Sitting close to the equator and situated on the Greenwich Meridian on the west coast of Africa, the Republic of Ghana has been called the Gold Coast and is one of Africa's most peaceful nations with diverse ethnic groups and boasts the largest man-made reservoir in the world, Lake Volta. I spoke with my friend Priscilla, who is the youngest person I have interviewed so far. However, at the age of 14, her wisdom and perspective are so mature. She was born and raised in Ghana, then moved to Qatar with her family when she was about six years old. Her global environment gives her an educated and open perspective about the world. She was very honest about her frustration of the stereotypes she experiences regarding African culture and shared a little bit about the friendly rivalry between Ghana and Nigeria's debate about who has the best food. She shared some of the dark history of the slave trade and talked about the slave castles that are still standing along the western coast of Ghana. She has amazing insight into how the youth can make a difference and she talks about how it all starts at home. The first place to start would be in homes, having conversations with your parents because those are the closest link to the older generation that we have and inform them that there are some beliefs that they have that are sort of backwards that need to be fixed. And I feel like, you know, charity begins at home. Everything begins in the home. So it's important to have these sort of conversations with our parents and with our family members about things that we think need to change. Hello, everybody. You are listening to Evan Worldwide. On this podcast, I'm going to take you on a journey around the world. You will hear young people's perspectives on culture, conflict, and cuisine. So let's go. My name is Priscilla. I'm 14 years old and I'm from Ghana. Would you say that there's a lot of conflict in Ghana? Um, well, in terms of large scale conflicts, Ghana is like a really peaceful country. Like when it comes to like physical violence and wars, Ghana is not one that would get into like, there's not that much intense conflict in the country, like on a larger scale, but within different groups of society, there are other conflicts, a lot of conflicts to do with land, chieftaincy, like um, in a small district, maybe like being the chief or a royal of that district, let's say, somebody from the bloodline passes away and you know there's always these arguments about who's going to take over this who's going to take over that and obviously people and the government our government is a uh, questionable they aren't horrible but there's a lot of conflict within the people themselves like when it comes to Ghana and other countries we're on good terms with other people but within our own nation it's not something that you would notice like unless you're within the country but there was a lot of like small scale conflicts within people in like small groups of people but like in general it's quite a conflict-free country okay well that's pretty good to hear that in general it doesn't have a lot of conflict however i want to go back to what you were talking about in regards to like the family the family line like the bloodline of like royalty and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing Ghana's very family oriented or Ghanaian culture, like family is very important. Yes, definitely. So, you know, you were saying if somebody dies and then who's going to take power, is that that's like a big problem? Yes, definitely. Because things can be, it always gets very complicated when it comes to issue of like 
power and taking over land, people always, it, it gets very complicated depending on the circumstances because Ghana in general, we're, we're a democratic nation. So we have a president and stuff, but we still have the freedom to have this tie to our cultural heritage by having like smaller local leaders. And on that scale, like we value our chiefs and our royals very much because it's an important part of our culture and our history as a people, because we did used to be a monarchy, you know, in the olden times, but now it's it's very messy as it always is with matters of royalty and now that things have changed a lot of people are immigrating people are moving it's hard to keep track of the way things were before and who owned what who's in charge of this people marry people you know our bloodlines become intertwined so somebody claims ownership to this somebody claims ownership to that and it just breaks out into a whole mess. There's a lot of violence, like physical violence, people hurting each other over things such as this. And it's like, it's 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 become a pretty messy issue in Ghana. Wow. So I guess it's interesting to think about like each region of Ghana, I'm guessing has like, has their own like monarch government or like royalty. So then does that mean that each like region is its own ethnic group or like there are multiple, there, I'm guessing there are multiple ethnic groups that come from Ghana and each region like has their own specific one? Because you were talking Absolutely. about how like the culture, overall Ghanaian government wants to let the people like have connections to their heritage. So. Yeah, in Ghana, there are a lot of different ethnic groups. And although like we are divided by region, within those ethnic groups in those regions, we have like subdivisions of ethnic groups that go down and down and down. So you'd come to one region, like for example, the region I'm from is the capital Greater Accra. And in that region, we have the Gans, then uh, you have the Gadangmes, you have the Krobos, like everybody has their own little tribe within that region. So even though it's like you would consider Ghana to be a very unified country, there's a lot of like cultural and ethnic divisions between the country. There are actually like about roughly about 50 something languages in Ghana alone. And it's a pretty small country to have like that many languages. So yeah, there are a lot of ethnic groups according to different regions. And then those branch off into smaller, smaller ethnic groups as well. Wow. Okay, so between those ethnic groups, would you say that there's any discrimination? Like, does one, like, ethnic group think that they're better than the other? Like, is there any kind of, like, racism in in that regard? Discrimination is, like, a very, very big issue when it comes to places like West Africa, especially in Ghana. Off the top of my head, I can't name specific, I don't know, specific groups where this would happen, but it's very common, like, let's say someone wants to marry someone of a different tribe, and then their family would be like, absolutely not, you can't marry someone from this tribe. Like you said, a lot of people think that their ethnic group is superior to somebody else. I remember there was a a few presidents ago, we tried to have our own national language, like make a local language, the national language of Ghana, because as of now, because we were a British colony, English is our national language. So they wanted to make it Chui, which is one of the native languages of Ghana. It's a very common language. But then that also broke out like inter-tribal wars because people were fighting over whose language you, your language can be the main language of our country. Our language is better than yours. And it broke out into this whole mess. And they were like, you know what? Fine, let's just make it English. And even in our country's history, even though we're one country, there have been different actual wars between different tribes 
So there's like a long line of beef between different tribes where they're like, mm, absolutely not. Your ancestor killed my ancestor. So there's no way we're associating with each other. As of now, people are becoming more modern and people are becoming more like accepting of other ethnic groups. But you're definitely going to find some members of the old generation that just have these really bad discriminatory or prejudicial mindsets when talking about like different ethnic groups in the country. That's something that I think is insane. And I wanted to ask more about like different types of social issues in Ghana. So obviously like ethnic discrimination is something that's very big. And then what about, let's say, sexism and homophobia? Absolutely. You know, this is Africa. We're a very conservative country. The main foundation of our culture is ro- are rooted in our like religious beliefs. Most of the country is Christian. Another section is Muslim, but they're very conservative people. So you can absolutely know that there's going to be hard homophobia within the country. And it's not something that's like outwardly spoken. It's more of like an unspoken thing because obviously legally homosexuality is illegal in Ghana. Like already that's a crime. Like you can't, you know, you can't have same sex marriages in Ghana. And it's not like people are outwardly being violent to members of the LGBTQ community. They sort of just prefer to pretend like they don't exist at all. It's like more of like a hush-hush thing. Like you just don't talk about it. And it sort of goes under wraps. There's been a lot of talk trying to bring the issue to light in legal matters like There was a bill proposed in parliament in Ghana about whether or not to legalize gay marriage. And it caused a lot of controversy because there is very little um, support for the LGBTQ community in Ghana and a lot of, of parts of West Africa. So that's one thing. And for racism, I mean, there's discrimination in the country, but in terms of like race, obviously we're, most of the country is black. Like it's not very common to find white Gandhians unless they're foreign, like biologically, most of us are black, but colorism is a very big issue. My part of Western Africa and especially in Ghana, where it's very common to have relatives or family members sort of discriminate against people because they're of a darker shade. Um, so, you know, do you know what colorism is, by the way? Yes, I do. Um, yeah. I'm Hispanic and in the Latin American community, colorism is a huge problem. Yeah, it's horrible. And you'd see in a lot of shops, a lot of people promote like skin lightening creams to make your skin lighter. Maybe if somebody is pregnant, they'd be like praying to God, please let my baby be light skinned. I don't want a dark baby or I don't want to marry a dark person because I don't want to have a dark kid. And it's crazy because most Ghanaians are brown or dark skinned. For goodness sake, the most of the country is black. It's crazy because it's it's born from self-hatred because we're so used to idealizing European beauty standards that we fail to appreciate like the diversity that comes within our country. So it's very common for people to see like fairer skin, straight hair as like the beauty standard. And it's seen as like a normal thing. I feel like nowadays with like the new generation coming up, people have become more proud of um, their more Afrocentric features, even though colorism is still a prevalent issue. At least now people are aware that it exists in the country. So, I mean, there's a little bit of improvement in that regards, but you'd still go and see those aunties who their face does not match their arms, no tea, no shade, but you can clearly tell 
there's some discoloration between the top and the bottom half. And in regards to sexism, like I said earlier, we're a very conservative country. So there's still the big idea of, oh, women belong in the kitchen, your husband should do all the work. But actually, surprisingly enough, there have been a lot more like females in power in Ghana, like taking executive positions, becoming entrepreneurs, being, you know, business people. So in recent years, people have like women have shown in Ghana that like women can do it all. If you would like to be a housewife, that's your choice. But you can also, you know, be a girl boss and do whatever you want. Like within the core fabric of society, the whole um, women are less than men misogyny mindset is still engraved in the minds of people. And oh, my gosh, not just in Ghana, if you come to West Africa and you're a female like most parents, obviously, you're not allowed to date. The second you graduate university, I'm sorry, where's your husband? Where are the grandchildren? Where are the babies? So sexism, it's getting better. Like a lot of these social issues that we have are getting better. But if you compare them to Western standards, absolutely horrific. <laughs> but we're getting there. We're improving bit by bit. Wow, that was that's a lot to uncover. That was really great information, by the way. And good for Ghana for, for like empowering more women to like, you know, become entrepreneurs and run businesses and being part of government. I think that's awesome. In regards to homophobia, you were talking about how it's kind of like coming from the religious background of Ghana is most of the country is Christian or Muslim? Yeah, Christian. Christian. Okay, okay. And, you know, talking about these social issues, do you think that there's a shift in perspective in like this new generation or do young people like us still think that these social issues are valid? Actually, the younger generation are what you would call more woke. There have been a lot of like social reforms and social movements coming from the youth nowadays in West Africa and in Ghana, calling for change in like certain aspects of like culture, people breaking the cultural norms and sort of trying to, you know, change their perspectives, change the mindset of people. And one thing I just remembered is like the topic of mental health, for example, for us, like, I think most, how do I say non-white people, I guess, would agree that People most, of color? Yes, most people of color, when it comes to our, our families or like, you know, the older generation, discussions about mental health are sort of like seen as ridiculous, like, excuse me, you have a roof over your head, you have all the basic needs. How dare you be sad because you're depressed? For a long time, there's been this like toxic cycle of just seeing mental health as non-existent or unimportant within society. But lately, like I know at least my parents' generation, like now people are becoming a lot more educated and a lot more open-minded and sort of unlearning all the toxic behaviors that they grew up with because it's a constant cycle it's because it's how it's what they learned from their parents and their parents learned from their parents parents but now this new generation of Ghanaians has sort of like taken it upon themselves to break those cycles because a lot of us had to grow up in toxic households and we understand that it's not our parents fault because that's just the environment that they grew up in you know now people are becoming more aware and people are like you know what 
we have to fix this ideology that we've been you know raised with we don't have to pass it on to the next generation as well and nowadays obviously more Ghanaians are traveling abroad there's a lot more globalization within the country like globalization has had a huge impact on the country because different you know western ideas have been introduced into Ghanaian society so it's more finding a way to balance those western ideas while still staying true to our cultural beliefs. So I, I really do have hope in you know this next generation of Ghanaians because we sort of like learned how to find a balance between introducing these new modernized morals into society while still staying true to our you know cultural values and stuff. So yeah, I do think this generation is not willing to sit down and live with the current social issues that are prevalent in Ghana. They really they really want to change. That's great to hear. And it's so interesting how I've been talking to other people from different countries and that are like our age, Gen Z. And the thing is that I think is pretty incredible is that, you know, a lot of the people that I've talked to are so driven to like create change into society. So I'm just curious to see how things are going to go when we're adults and like we're in like we're in charge of everything like it's about to get real. (laughs) Okay, so my next question is, do you keep up with politics and government in Ghana? To a certain extent, yes. Although this is kind of embarrassing for me to say, I feel like I know more about American politics than I do about Ghanaian politics, considering the fact that I live in Qatar. You may or may not know from other people that's like that live in Qatar, but when you're an immigrant here, politics has nothing to do with you. You come here, you do your work, you leave. Like, this is not your country. It's not like America where you can become a Qatari. So I don't really keep up with anything here. And Ghana, because I left Ghana when I was six, I'm not really that up to date with everything that's going on back home. Like, the main, the most important issues, like maybe, oh, my parents will come and tell me something or, oh, I saw this thing on Facebook or once in a while I'll see something on the news about Ghana and I'll be interested to know what's going on. But my social media and like just my environment is more consumed with like world politics and American politics because American affairs dominate every other countries nowadays in the media. So yeah, I don't really keep up with Ghana as much as I would like to. Well, it's really funny you talk about how American affairs like just dominate all of society. And as a US citizen, and after like speaking with people from multiple countries, I have realized that we're pretty influential to the world. Like, (laughs) oh my God, like so many things from the US or like movies or like even like pop culture and, and you know, trends on social media. Like exactly. It's, it's just crazy. But talking about politics and you were saying that like you wish that you kept up more with politics in Ghana more often. How do your parents get information on like news as like you said that they would tell you important things? We have the Facebook aunties, the Facebook warriors on Facebook 24 seven. So, you know, anytime something happens, it's always on Facebook or on WhatsApp or something like that. But in general here in in Qatar, um, we have a very strong Ghanaian community. You wouldn't expect that because it's literally in the middle of like the Middle East, like it's the desert, but there's quite a number of Ghanaians in Qatar. And so recently, like a few years ago, when we had an official ambassador from Ghana to Qatar, We've become more of like a tight-knit group. 
So whenever there's like a new political something going on, the entire community is involved by staying connected with, you know, our ambassador and staying connected with back home and with each other as a community. Anytime something happens, like they make sure that, you know, everyone is aware of it. And now, you know, things like voting, because obviously we live abroad, we can go to our embassy and, you know, vote back home. Uh, Our president comes and visits us sometimes. So we don't feel too distant from Ghanaian political affairs. And in general, like for me personally, if I see something on the news, no offense to BBC or CNN or whatever, when they're reporting news about Ghana or West Africa, it usually tends to be negative, like something about poverty or children are dying or political uprising or something. So I don't really, <laughs> I don't really keep up with Ghana on international news because they don't really care about us that much. I would usually do my own like personal reading on the internet. Like I'd go and, you know, do some research if I want to find out about something that's going on. Wow. That's, I love that there's that community in Qatar for you and like other Ghanaian citizens that are over there. One more question about like, you know, news and information. Whenever you visit, you go back to Ghana and go see your family or like, let's say you're like watching the news or like you see an article pop up. Have you ever noticed any censorship coming out of Ghana? That's a good question, actually. Even though Ghana is a very conservative country, government, like heavily enforced government censorship, if I compare it to that, like in this country that I'm living in, Qatar, it's actually not that bad. I mean, we still, after all, are a democratic country, so people are free to um, share whatever they like, whether public opinion would be against it or for it. If it is, it's more like a withholding of information rather than like censoring it. But okay, as far as I know, or as far as I'm aware, censorship is not that bad of an issue here. The only thing about like controversial statements would be public response. So when the information is being delivered to people, usually like it's you're free to do whatever you want with it. However, the response that you're gonna get from the public will be the ultimate silencer because if you say something that people don't agree with you will be met with fire and fury and rage you just delete it instantly so that in itself it's like it's it's its own form of censorship in a way but overall like there are no like legal restrictions to different information that you send about the country within the country or with like internationally do you have any friends from like different countries or like have you met a lot of people from different countries? That is a very good question. And in fact, to answer truthfully, I have more friends from other countries than I have friends from Ghana. Because once again, I'm an immigrant. I'm not living in Ghana. I'm living in Qatar. And Qatar's population is majority immigrants. So if I go to school, for instance, most of them are from multiple different countries. It's very rare to find a large number of one nationality. It's, it's a very diverse community over here in Qatar. So I'm exposed to a different like group of people. My friend group in general, apart from maybe Pakistan or India, most of my friends don't have people from like the same country as them within the friend group. I am so jealous of you, by the way, (laughs) because just having friends from multiple different backgrounds, it just seems so much fun. I'm just curious, knowing how diverse your community is and how many people you know from different countries, do you see more similarities or differences between the people you've met? We do have a lot of similarities, like a lot of cultural similarities between people of color. 
But uh, in general, I feel like their differences very much outweigh the similarities. Like there is, it's a vast, vast contradiction between like what I was used to back in Ghana. And over here being in the Middle East, the majority of people you would see would be people from Arab countries. So they speak a different language. They speak Arabic, different religion. They're mostly Muslims. They're very different from like the way I would be. But I feel like because, you know, us being Gen Zs and all and having social media, I'm just like, if I talk to a teenager from a different country, we are just teenagers. Like, it's not, I don't know, like get used to a completely different like way of life. Like, for example, if I was having a conversation with you, even though we're both from different countries, I feel like because we're all assimilated with like pop culture or whatnot. It's not like I have to get used to a whole different way of life or like you have a different way of speaking or a different language. Like over here, we're all just teens. We're all kids in a high school or secondary school. So it's not that like jarring to see people from a different culture or I don't get like much culture shock. It's only when it's like in cultural situations that obviously like, oh, if there's like a religious event or a cultural event, that's when you actually get to visually see the differences between people. But when it's in like a community like school or just when we're casually hanging out, you wouldn't be able to visually like see or notice the differences between us. I definitely agree with that considering like the customs of different people and like you don't really notice differences between until like people speak their native language or people are like are with their parents or their family members. I think it's pretty beautiful, like, to see, like, the contrast in culture. However, I think it's interesting how, like, everyone our age, like, the majority of us can kind of get along in a way, which I think is so cool. I mean, I know you don't live in Ghana anymore. However, from the times that you have been back to see your family or when you were even living there as a little kid, do you remember seeing young people advocating for peace and less conflict? Well, when I left Ghana, I was six. I have an older sister as well. So I was able to like observe the older young generation from when I was little because I was like surrounded by them. And I did see a lot of youth advocating for change because it's like it's become a time where the youth are given like more platforms to do things with themselves or more platforms like where people are actually listening to what the youth are doing like there'd be more social events at school we have this like reality tv competition called talented kids there's this one contestant her name was nakia she won like two years ago or something she's like nine and she's a poet for example she uses that platform from the competition to share her poetry and express her thoughts for the country like she would give she's performed poems about like um the environmental crisis or orphans and things like that. There's a lot of like competition or like reality shows where people have the opportunity to share their thoughts on their communities. So yeah, I, I can say for the little amount of time that I've been in Ghana, I've gotten to experience that. That's pretty cool. I'm really impressed by that TV show and that little girl, like with the poets, poems and everything. That's pretty impressive. I guess recently, like even though you've been living in Qatar, have you noticed like any social media awareness from Ghana or like trying to raise awareness for things such as like Black Lives Matter or Stop Asian Hate? Yeah, definitely. I feel like during during the Black Lives Matter movement, like the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement, there was a lot of support coming from the youth in Africa because obviously, to, although we don't live in America or anything like that, we have like a common understanding 
obviously from experience, empathy with people experiencing racial prejudice, because obviously, you know, we've experienced the same thing. We have, you know, common understanding. There's a lot of support that comes from the motherland when issues like that break out. And also different political movements, like this isn't exactly Ghana. It happened in Nigeria with police brutality towards the youth. Mm. And like, there was this thing called hashtag NSARS and SARS, I forgot what it stands, like the letters stand for, but it was like basically this like organization from the police that's like to prevent armed robbery and such. And basically just an excuse to terrorize the youth. Like they would see a teenager walking around the street with an iPhone and then somehow deem them a criminal or something and just kill them on the spot. And it was just a common thing. And for months, people took to the streets protesting in all parts of, especially Nigeria, in Ghana, other parts of West Africa. And there's been this one like movement in Ghana trending at the moment called hashtag fix the country, where a lot of not just like teenagers, but like youth in general, like young people, like in their twenties and stuff, advocate and celebrities advocating for the government's like fix the country, because there's a lot of messed up stuff about Ghana, whether it comes to social issues or Things like, for example, architecture. I don't know why, but there's this weird thing that Ghana does where they start like making a building and then just leave it like halfway done. Like it's not complete. Like literally you could, where I live in Ghana, you could drive across the neighborhood and see at least five incomplete buildings. Like they always start up new projects and then just leave them there for no reason. Like there are some lakes and lagoons that used to be beautiful and thriving. Now they're full of absolute garbage. Like there have been so many politicians like being like, oh, we're going to do this, we're gonna do that. And there's never been any like real tangible evidence that they're actually working towards answering the questions that we have. So people actually went, started organizing protests, started organizing like meetings with members of parliament and then celebrities like who have a platform would go on news stations, go on radio stations, host talks and be like, hey, by the way, you know, your country is suffering. Most of the people in this country are living in poverty and you're just ignoring them. You don't have jobs for the youth. People are turning to crime state of our agriculture, state of our architecture is a hot mess. So you need to fix yourselves. And so, yeah, fix the country has been like something that's trending here for a while. So yeah, you can say there's a lot of like youth activism and a lot of interesting things going on now in social media in Ghana. I guess that also shows how much potential there is in this new generation. We're activists, we're trying to create change. And I guess it's just proving my point how Big things are coming soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my last question is for the peace and conflict part. How can young people help spread awareness to advocate for peace in Ghana? I think uh, when it comes to young people, the first place to start would be in homes, having conversations with your parents, because those are the closest link to the older generation that we have so just hearing them out and also even though you know there's a whole thing about you know respect and not trying to sound rude or anything but it always starts with maybe you hear your parents say something that you know it's wrong and you know it's hurtful but having to like uh, have the courage to have like a responsible conversation with them and inform them that 
there's some beliefs that they have that are sort of backwards that need to be fixed. And I feel like, you know, charity begins at home. Everything begins in the home. So it's important to have these sort of conversations with our parents and with our family members about things that we think need to change because everything begins at home. And then the second place that you could go to is obviously school because um, we spend most of our lives at school, like five days a week. You formulate the ideas that you have as a young adult and as a child from school because that's where you're educated, that's where you learn everything. That's where all the information goes up in here. Everything you learn at school, you take it with you and then you know it helps you grow as a person. So I feel like us youth need to be given the platforms from that early stage, like from the beginning, to have like these opportunities to have these conversations about the world that we want to live in, not just the world that was, you know, we inherited from our parents and like being made aware from a young age that, that we actually have a big role to play as the ones, you know, who are carrying the neck, like carrying the torch, carrying the generation forward. Like events like MUN, for instance, I know it's not big in Ghana, but I would love for things like Marlon United Nations to be big in Ghana because I feel like it could really help us as a society because it's one of those things where it really helps us young people open our eyes, step into different shoes, understand new perspectives because, you know, you get to debate on things that actually matter, like things that are going on in the world. You play the role of different countries so you get to understand different perspectives and stuff. And then obviously from there on, social media, biggest tool that we as generation have because it's the best way to reach the masses very quickly, very easily. And it's where everybody's eyes are at now, social media, social media, social media. Like anytime an injustice happens, like especially with, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement, it all started with, you know, the video of George Floyd. None of that would have been able to happen if people didn't take the initiative to share information about it on social media, make sure to take videos, take evidence, like document what's going on and share your opinion to the public. I feel like we Ghanaian youth need to utilize the resources that we have as people. And I think social media is like the best thing because it's just very easy to gain traction on different issues through social media. Us youth are making all wrong things go viral. <laughs> like there's some things that are very popular that you just don't understand why. Like they have no contribution to society. They're just weird. But when it comes to like important issues, you never see them on mainstream media, you never see them going anywhere. So I would really hope for like us Ghanaian youth to sort of like expand our platform and take our country like outwards. And the last thing I would like to say is about this is that I've noticed like from a very young age, it's been very obvious to me that most people outside, almost everybody outside of Ghana has a very like diluted image of who we are as a country and as a people. If you look at the education system, man, I have, <laughs> mainly and I are always laughing about this because I have met some people like genuinely ask me if we like lived on the floor in huts or if we had school, like do you ride a giraffe to school every day? Do you have water? Do you drink water? Like people literally think that like we're like a village. And so funny, sometimes I get annoyed. I troll them. I'm like, yes, yes, I do live in a mud hut. How would I be alive if those are the conditions I were living in? Like, sometimes it pisses me off. Some people just don't care enough to educate themselves. But I do think that it's not exactly their fault. Like, in the environment that they were raised in, they weren't given the proper information about us. 
and people just aren't aware of what Africa is like outside of being oh the poor people place or don't waste your food there's a kid in Africa that's starving you know everybody has that image of us and we should have just accepted it and just sat with it like but I think we could use this as an opportunity to enlighten people and educate people changing the narrative people have about it. it's like going out there and telling people hey by the way Everything you know about our country is wrong. Everything you know is wrong. And in order for them to, like people outside of our country, to have a different perspective on us, we have to be the ones educating them. We shouldn't let people get their information about us from outside sources because that's when the information becomes diluted. I could go on about this for ages about how people are so stupid when it comes to Africa. They really think that everybody in Africa is one country, I'm related to everybody. I literally had classmates, people in my class would see a black person walking down the hallway and ask me, is that your dad? Is that your mom? Just because they were black. So I really think it's all due to a lack of education. And I really do think we should become more active and like actively presenting ourselves in the way that we want to present it and not let the Western world create the narrative for us. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just <laughs> said. Let me say that. That was incredible. I mean, I think that just the fact that people have such a closed-minded perspective on Africa, on Africa as a whole, but like even Ghana especially, it's something that I feel like if we want to get closer to to peace and less conflicts, we need to understand each other more and learn about how the countries actually are compared to just closed-minded media and different types of ignorant comments, you know. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to go to the food and culture questions. I'm super excited for this because I have not really had like Ghanaian food or like even West African food in general. So I'm excited to hear some of this. So what is the most popular dish in your country? Is there like a national dish? I think the most common ones, I have three, after, okay, two off the top of my head. One would be fufu and the other would be jollof. Now, obviously, I think a lot of people have heard these from social media and think that they're Nigerian. We don't associate ourselves with Nigerians. They're a different, okay, look at me talking about discrimination and me discriminating Nigerians. Let me just lay down the law right now. Since you're talking to a Ghanaian right now, us Ghanaians and Nigerians, we're like besties. No, not besties. We're like siblings. But we have like a lot of beef within each other. So a lot of Ghanaian food is the same as Nigerian food, but it's like ours is better. And then they think that they're better. Anyways, back to the topic. Fufu and Jalof are the most famous. But from my region, Banku would be like the top thing. In Ghana, we eat a lot of like starchy food and corn. I guess it has something to do with like the land and like what grows on there naturally. But Fufu, do you know what cassava is? Yeah, juca. Yeah, so yeah. cassava and you know you know plantain. Oh my god, you're talking to. <laughs> okay, so I have eaten so much juca and plantain like throughout my life, throughout my travels. I am obsessed with it. I love it. <laughs> Everything about both. Oh my god, they're so you good. Oh my gosh, what is plantain? I just go big banana. <laughs> yeah, but you can't. <laughs> but you can't eat the plantain raw. You, you exactly. get really sick. It's not the same. And it shocks me so much when I see people like, what is plantain? Like, what's that? And I'm like, you're missing out on that. It is so it's good. Like, and it's so versatile too. Like, there's so many ways to eat it. 
So for fufu, um, they usually get the unripe plantain, so like when it's still green. They cook it, they cook the cassava, and then when it's like, when they boil it, you have like this mortar, like this wooden bowl thing, mm-hmm. and then a pistol, which is like this big stick. And then you just pound it together and keep pounding. It takes a lot of upper body strength. They're very muscular people. It's like a whole damn sport. And then you like pound it together, pound it, pound it, pound it. And it becomes just like this sticky paste thing. Not like a paste, like a dough. And yeah. then you roll it into a ball. And then you eat it with soup, different types of soup. And then jollof rice, once again, it's the number one food that we're like at war with Nigeria for. Because it's a very common West African food. Apparently, it came from Senegal, but we don't claim them. It's ours now. It's this rice that is, like, cooked with stew. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it, but, like, just a simplified version of it is, like, rice cooked with stew, a bunch of vegetables. You can have any sorts of protein that you want. Like, usually, it, you eat it with meat or chicken, but you can eat it with anything you want. The rice is the most important part. And then, banku, it's, it comes from my region. My region is the most, like, popular thingy there. I'm from Greater Accra. Banku, how do I explain banku? You know, corn, before you cook it, mm-hmm. you, like, take it to a mill, and then make it into like a fine powder and then mix yeah, yeah. it with water and then it becomes a corn dough and then you take cassava and then blend the cassava and then mix it with the corn dough and then water and then you cook it until it becomes this like paste and that's banku it's like a white paste and you eat it with like stew or soup or whatever so hearing like what banku is it sounds really similar to fufu mm-hmm. it's very similar yeah. It's but, like almost the same but different. And banku, that's native to Ghana compared yeah. to fufu, like you don't really know the origin. No, it's from Ghana. It's yeah. from Ghana. <laughs> Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Hey. It's Ghana. The Nigerians have their own way of doing it. They usually don't add plantain to their fufu. They usually mm-hmm. use like cocoa yam. Like they use like yams and stuff to do their fufu. So it's like a variation, but it's like a lesser variation. It's like not as good as ours. <laughs> Speaking from experience, if you want to try West African food, do not go to Nigeria. Go to Ghana. Do it the right way. Will do. But if I hear anyone slander Nigeria, you become my personal enemy. That's just how the relationship works. Like if I hear any <laughs> like outside slander to Nigeria, I'll defend Nigeria, but I do the slandering. I slander you, but no one else can slander you. <laughs> That's how a family works, I guess. Exactly. Nice. Hearing these three dishes, they all sound fire, by the way. What is your favorite Ghanaian dish? I have to say jollof rice. Jollof rice. It's like, it's the people pleaser. Everybody loves jollof rice. But growing up, my mom, she is obsessed with fufu. And when I say obsessed, I don't mean like she really likes it. She's obsessed. When we go back home to Ghana for the holiday, and this is not an exaggeration, every day for dinner, we have fufu. Every single day. Usually people will be more like, oh, banku and fufu. Jollof is more like a modern food. It's like more like the kids like it, you know, the foreigners or whatever. But it's still my favorite. I still love it. (laughs) Nice, nice. Do you have like a special dish or family recipe that gives you like great memories? Well, most of the time in the kitchen, uh, I have very (laughs) negative memories attached to the kitchen. 
you know, when I said that whole thing about, you know, women belong in the kitchen. Right. I'm the middle child here, so I'm sort of, like, forced to be there all the time. So it's more like when you're in the kitchen, it's like you have to be there. It's like, it's actually kind of fun sometimes. It depends. Like, if you're there willingly, at least for me, when they're willingly. I can think of a time, like, for example, when you're making jollof, it's actually quite fun to make because it's a pot dish. You can make it by yourself, but it's easier when, like, we're doing it with family. So like maybe we're having like a like a party. I can I can think of like a maybe a Christmas event. Extended family are home. Everybody, well mostly the women because you know sexism. Mm. Mostly the women would be in the kitchen and everybody's like doing their little part of the dish because it's a pot dish. Like I said like before, everything is just cooked in the same thing. You cook the meat, you cook the stew, you cook the rice, everything together so that you know all the flavors mesh up together. Whatever Gordon Ramsay would say, but. It's really nice when you have everybody in the kitchen together. And when we're in the kitchen, it's not like utter silence. It's always a gossip, not gossip in a negative way. Like we're having very interesting conversations. And I can remember a lot of memories, like when we're having family gatherings, just having everybody, somebody is chopping vegetables, somebody's cleaning up. And although you we were forced to be there, like it's it's still nice because it's very lively when we're cooking food because you know it's something that you have to share with the whole family. So you make a lot of it. So it takes a lot of like when it's when you're doing it together, it's it makes it very fun. Like you don't even notice that you're working because you're like surrounded by family. It's a very like lighthearted atmosphere. Hey, I love those vibes. You know, you're with the whole family, you're cooking and everything, and you know the meal's <laughs> going to be good. That just seems like a fun time. And you got the music playing. It's it's great. So talking about like, your family recipes, does your family make any dishes in your own special way, like compared to other families? Like, do you guys add something to jollof rice that is like not as common or like that makes it your own? To be honest, we're kind of basic. <laughs> like, I know there's really like a lot of people like, oh, we have a secret family recipe or something, but we don't really like have like a special family way of doing things. You just do it like it's done. <laughs> we just do it normally. Like, I love cooking, but the only reason I hate being in the kitchen is when like I have like an like, older family member like breathing down my shoulder. Like, you do the slightest mistake, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. How dare you? You're like you made the slightest variation to what they're doing and it's absolutely wrong so like I hate when people watch me cook I prefer to cook by myself because I hate judgmental people but I will say when it comes to spicing our food um we have this thing that we always joke about like we never cook with measurements like you measure my parents always say you measure with your eyes and then we always make this joke like you pour enough spice in and then the ancestors tell you that's enough that's enough like you feel <laughs> you feel that that's enough salt like for now like you have to just naturally have an intuition so when you're being taught how to cook in ghana they just expect you to magically have like the eye for spice like you ask excuse me mom how much do i add you should know how much you should add how much do you feel like you should add <laughs> they always do like the perfect amount with no measurement like they measure with their eyes and their intuition and i think it's kind of funny how like my aunts that are cooking from like costa rica and stuff when when they make food they always measure with their eyes they don't like like okay a teaspoon of this spice no they just go <laughs> And a little more, like, and they've taught me to do that. So like now, yeah, that's a little bit more, you know, I just use my eyes 
and also like the color like sometimes like spices will change the color of the food so like True. i'm like hmm, maybe it should be a little more red so i'm like okay there yeah jollof has this like certain shade of orange that it is and like you can tell like if it's like a reddish orange or, like if it, the color is dull you can tell it's not going to be busted you do not want to waste <laughs> time eating it like you can visually see like mm, the jollof has to be it has to be like vibrant and visually appealing and then you can tell like mm, it's gonna be busted i'm gonna keep that in mind so, so like you it should. has to be like a nice like reddish orange color or... yeah that's how you know nigerian jollof is off because they never have the right color after hearing how amazing some of these dishes are what is a dish from your country that when i traveled there like i can't miss like obviously hearing these dishes i gotta go to ghana one day <laughs> would be the best choice if you go somewhere local like in the marketplace when they're selling fufu they have like they usually have like a massive bowl because obviously they cook it for like a large amount of people and their soups there are so good because there's such a variety of like meats and stuff inside have you ever eaten cow intestines before <laughs> like tripe i don't know what it's called i just call them intestines well yeah i've, I've had cow intestines yeah tripe but yeah, i've only they, i've had like, it in soup yeah, in the soups, like there's this one soup called light soup. I don't know why we call it light soup. But they really put like the, the variations of meats uh, when you buy it outside. They really put so much love into it. So, and you know, you know the food's gonna be good when the chef is like really chubby, like she's really big, like has a really large build. I don't know <laughs> why. I mean, I'm not body shaming any chefs. I'm just saying like you can like see that they put a lot of love in their food. It's really good. You have to try it. Fufu, Ghanaian. Ghanaian. Well, isn't Fufu from Ghana, so you don't have to emphasize that it's Ghanaian? True, 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 true. <laughs> See? I, I, See? I'm gonna, I'm gonna mentally observe myself from now on. <laughs> just... What does food mean for Ghanaian culture? Like, is it really important? It's very, very important. One thing about Ghanaian culture is that like we're really big on hospitality. So if you're a guest and you come into a Ghanaian home, it is standard that unless it's like a casual visit from like a neighbor or something, it is like custom that you you feed them, like you give them food. Like even if they don't want to eat, you force them to eat. Like <laughs> usually we always make enough food that will fill the family and be left over so that you always have food to share. Because when it comes to food, we don't just like eat and then eat by ourselves. We always eat as a family. If you go back home, like back to like rural Ghana, like the village. When we make food, we don't like serve them separately. Like it's in one big bowl. Everybody's sitting around. Usually we eat with our hands. Like you wash your hands and eat. And everybody's eating from the same bowl. It's like more like a, of a communal thing. So when, when people are eating in Ghana, it always has something to do with bringing people together and being hospitable. So maybe like, let's say um, at home, we, we cook some fufu and there's some extra. Maybe um, the gardener outside, we go give him somewhere. The neighbors, like you, it's very normal for you in Ghana to just go and casually share food with people because it's more of just a way of, you know, being a nice neighbor or just being hospitable to people. But yeah, it's very rare to go into a Ghanaian home and then not find food there. Like they will find a way to like force some food into you. Yeah, it's, it's so it's it's very important to us. That's awesome. And I think that is so beautiful. Like the hospitality and you eat as a family and everything. And like you all come together to have a meal. Food really does bring people together. And I think that's amazing. What dish or food makes you feel a sense of home? What is your comfort food? This is a little random. Beans and plantain. You know, we love plantain in Ghana. 
there's mm-hmm. this meal it's literally called beans and plantain because it's just like beans cooked and then fried plantain on top and then you add a little bit of like red oil and diced onions you know cassava like mm-hmm. i mean love cassava it's dried and then it's like grated into this like powder it's not like it's not it's not fine it's still kind of chunky and you eat the combination together I just love it so much because when I was in Ghana, when I was little, I have a lot of memories with, with beans and plantain. Uh, so before my mom had my little brother, I was like four. She used to work in a market in Ghana. She used to like sell stuff. I don't remember what she sold. I didn't know she sold stuff. And so in the market, she'd buy me beans and plantain. And it would always be, we didn't, we never bought them like bowls. They would always be wrapped in a plantain leaf. And I don't know what it is about the leaf. I think that like massive leaf in like as a substitution for a bowl. I don't know if it just like gives better like vibes, but it just it just tastes better. Like we have this one food, other food called wachi, and it's beans cooked with rice. It's like brown. It's beans and rice together, and then you add pepper, you add egg, gunions and eggs, inseparable duo. Love story better than Twilight. Um, you also wrap it in the leaf I don't know like the leaf just gives it like vibes like when you eat it with your hand instead of leaf it feels more local it feels more like homemade it just tastes better so it has like a special place in my heart I have like a really good emotional attraction no not not attraction (laughs) connection attachment emotional attachment Attachment. to beans and plantain (laughs) That is such a beautiful love story, let me say, with you and <laughs> beans and plantains. Well, I'm just curious. So you said that like eating the beans and plantains in a plantain leaf, is it like a flat leaf and then you have the beans and plantains on top or is it like wrapped up into like a like a ball or like a square? It's wrapped, like the beans is inside and it's wrapped up. You know, actually, I'm just realizing we're so environmentally friendly, like, hello, no plastic, but you wrap it inside the leaf. And then when, when you're going to eat, you like unwrap it and you lay it down on the table and it's like a plate mm-hmm. and then you use your hands to eat it. Hey, that's awesome. And I would love to try that, not going to lie. That sounds so good. You would need to. Let's say someone was going to Ghana for vacation or like, let's say someone was going to Ghana for like a few weeks. Where would you recommend them to go? Ooh, this is a good one. Obviously, when you go to Ghana, the main airport is in Accra. So it would be nice to like, you know, look around Accra and stuff. But Accra is like the outside, like the shiny wrapping paper of Ghana. But it's not like Ghana, Ghana. Like you could spend a few days in like Accra. Accra is the city. The best place to go explore Ghana is the outskirts, the rural areas, the actual nature. Like, for example, we have a Brie Gardens. It's a botanical garden. It's beautiful. There's like waterfalls and like real trees and forests and stuff. The part of Ghana that my dad is from, it's a place called Shy Hills. It's in the greater Dakar region. It's this mountainous region. The mountains are massive. Like our ancestors used to live on the mountains, but we moved. But um, it's a really beautiful place like go hiking or just observe. And there's like a lot of cultural things tied to the mountains. There are a lot of like spiritual beliefs tied to there. It's a really beautiful place to go. Uh, there's one, Akusumbo Dam. Have you ever heard of the Volta Lake? Lake Volta? Yeah. No, I My African geography is not largest, that good. It's okay. It's the largest man-made body of water in the world. At Volta Lake, there's a dam uh, that powers 
enough power for all of Ghana and like four other countries. Like it's it's it, it, it's a lot. And the lake is beautiful. There's like a hotel near it. There are a lot of like islands around the lake and there's the dam. It's a beautiful place to get some scenery. And it's towards the Western, the Volta region. So it's getting out of the greater Accra region. I feel like more people need to explore other parts of Ghana, like go up north. And I think one really important part about visiting Ghana is not just to go to all like the pretty, pretty hotels because there are a lot of like nice natural reserves in Ghana. The national park is a really nice place to go, but it would also be nice for people, more people to visit the villages and actually experience rural life of Ghana because although I'm not a fan of the whole Africa is poor there is still poverty that exists there and I would really like for more people to not just sugarcoat the way our country is but it would be nice to like experience like both sides like to be able to see the more rural part how people live there and how people live in the cities just to get like a better experience of it so going up to the northern region, the northern regions, and in the center, the Ashanti region. Oh my goodness! You know, Ghana before we were called Gold Coast because we have a lot of gold. We have the second most gold in all of Africa, and all that gold is in the Ashanti region. The Ashanti region. There's a lot of stories that come from the Ashanti region. There is this huge monument called the Golden Stool, and you could go see the Ashanti castles and their thrones and stuff. And speaking of castles, castles, yes. This is not going to be pretty, but one thing people have to visit when they go to Ghana is the slave trade castles, because one of the darkest part of our history is obviously the slave trade, because West Africa, Ghana is on like the edge of Africa. Most slave traders coming in from Europe would dock at Ghana and other many countries in West Africa to take in slaves and, and they, they'd keep them there in slave castles. Cape Coast Castle is the most famous one where there is the door of no return. So people would be kept in the castles and they would leave the docks of Ghana for America and they just never come back. But uh, recently, 2019 marked exactly 100 years since the first or last slave ship left Ghana. So it was this whole tourism thing called the year of return. So like the sort of turned around the narrative of the no return to return. So there's a large number of African-Americans that can trace their heritage back to Ghana. So a lot of them came back for the year, of, the year of return. And what they did was they found some bodies and remains of some slaves from Ghana, and they brought them back through the door of no return as a symbolic gesture of them being reconnected back with their homeland. So I think that's also a really important place to visit because when you go through like tours and stuff, it's really important for people to understand that it was a very dark part in history and for us to understand like the foundation of different social issues like racism and stuff because when people look me in the eye and tell me, oh, racism doesn't exist, you're exaggerating. It really baffles me because there's a lot of things about our history that we don't like to confront. And I feel like it's very important, especially for the Western world, to not pretend like slavery just didn't happen because it was a long time ago. We need to go to these places and experience the past, have these really difficult conversations to be able to shape our mindsets for the future. I think it's a really important thing. And the last place in Ghana that you need to travel to, you need to go to the marketplace. I think the biggest um, markets in Ghana were the most popular would be Makola. It's in Greater Accra. Man, before COVID, you would probably gotten like stampeded there. It's like a lot of people. And you can buy anything there. Like 
things there are so cheap. You just find everything in the marketplace. It's, it's very like hustle and bustle, but it's very interesting because people there are so friendly. Like even if you don't know them, they treat you like family. Like it, it's, it's a very nice environment, but it's just a nice experience to see, you know, the daily lives of people in Ghana. And I think the best place to see that is through the marketplace. Those are some great places to visit from like hearing from what you're saying. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that, that you brought up the castles that were from the slave trade. And I think that is absolutely very important to acknowledge the dark past that has occurred between the European colonizers and the slaves that came to the Western world, the, the Americas. And it's definitely something that we as a society, as like as a global society, need to acknowledge. This happened, you know? And absolutely. when people say and when people say that like racism doesn't exist, no, learn some history. So I have this very last question. I want you to imagine a scenario that someone has never ever heard of Ghana before. They don't know anything good or anything bad. And if you could tell them one thing about Ghana, what would you tell them? One thing, when I think of Ghana, the most important value I think that Ghana has is, is, is a country of respect. It's a, it's a very vague concept, but when you come to Ghana, everything, all like our morals and our values and like everything about Ghanaian society, at least, like not about the tangible country, but like within people, one thing that people value the most in Ghana is respect no matter what if you've never been there or if you are part of Ghanaian society or you're from Ghana you will always be expected to be treated with respect or to treat people with respect you treat people very kindly like you know that respect is important in Ghanaian society through the way people treat each other in in certain parts of the world I think if you compare it to like western nations when it comes to things like discipline, uh, you wouldn't expect random strangers to discipline a person. But in Ghana, if an elder that you don't even know observes you being disrespectful, they will most definitely come and call you out. They do not care. They're not related to you or they're not your parents. They will get themselves involved because they care about what's going on around them. So I feel like if no one knows what Ghana is or who we are. I think the most important thing I would want them to know is how much we as a people value respect and how that as a virtue has shaped our community and shaped our society. That was amazing, let me just say. Okay, this has been such an informing interview and I am definitely gonna be walking away like knowing a lot more than I expected, to be honest. So Priscilla, thank you so much for doing this interview with me really appreciated it i had so much fun learning more about ghana and learning more about like ghanaian food jollof rice fufu banku beans and plantains all that it was so much fun thank you so much do you know any indigenous languages that are native to ghana how to say thank you or something or like any languages that are common the tribe i'm from we speak uh, I'm not fluent, but I know enough to like understand like when people are talking to me in my language, I just can't say it back. Well, how do you say thank you? Oh, thank you. In Dangme would be um Mochung. Mochung. Yeah. Is that it? Mochung. Yeah. Oh, well. Right. well, Mochung for doing this interview with me. <laughs> <laughs> You're thank you for listening to my Global Youth's Perspective podcast. My goal is to share insight into the lives and cultures of my friends around the world, and hopefully we can listen to each other, bridge our differences, and make this world a better place.